Good evening, church. If you have a Bible with, with you, I have mine. Can you turn to Matthew chapter 9? Matthew chapter 9. Um, we, have, we started last week and done a, a start of a series of a collection of talks looking at, at some stories of, of women in the Bible and how they encountered Jesus and the, these encounters with Jesus have, have actually transformed uh, their whole lives. And so last week we looked at, at this idea of how Jesus' grace will change your whole life. And so we looked at this idea of a posture of grace and, and that the posture of grace is that Jesus stooped down to, to the woman caught in adultery and how that that Jesus has stooped down to find you and I. He stooped down from his, his throne in heaven and humbled himself to come down as a human uh, onto earth to find you and I and how grace will stoop down to any level. And tonight we're going to look at this title of the power of grace. Last week I said, looked at the posture. And this week we're going to look at the power of grace and how grace can, can actually transform your whole life. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read verse 18 to verse 22. And it says, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again. If you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this word and, and this encounter that you had with this woman. God, we thank you that, that we are able to sit and read this, this passage thousands of years later, God, from when it happened and still be transformed and changed by it. God, we thank you that your grace is still the same and is still changing lives. God, you're still saving lives, but God, you're still transforming our lives. We go from glory to glory to glory. And God, we thank you that the one encounter with you, just one encounter with Jesus can change our whole lives. And so God, we ask, would you come in this place and give us one of those encounters? Would you come in tonight and speak through my words, God? Would you come and Holy Spirit transform our lives from the inside out? In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I, I, st I stated last week and I'll state it again. Church, after tonight, I have one more sermon to give you and then I am done. I am away for two weeks. See you later. Um, Kelsey and I get married in, in uh, 15th. Thank you. <laughs> so much on my head at the minute. But uh, last, last Saturday was, was my, my stag day, and so the, the guys organized the, the day for me. So um, it was Chippo is my best man. Please pray for me. He is going to do a speech at my wedding, and I am petrified. So Chippo, um, there's Kyle, there's Stuart, and then there's my brother Andrew, and they're my, my groomsmen. So last week they organized the, the stag day for me, and I had no idea what was about to happen. And so the Friday night we stayed over in Kyle's, we played some FIFA, we had some food, and then on the Saturday morning got up, and uh, just me and the groomsmen went out for breakfast, and so it was great. And, and then um, they gave me my 
obviously they give you your weird outfit for the day and thankfully it wasn't too bad, but I had these like, they're like PE rugby shorts, but they were like wearing sandpaper, so it wasn't great. And then Chippo gave me, a, it was an Arsenal shirt, but I want to put it out for the record and this will be recorded in the podcast, which is good. I'm not an Arsenal supporter. I'm a Manchester United supporter, so we need that to be out there. But Chippo makes this joke that I'm an Arsenal supporter, which I'm actually not. So I had to wear this and, and then I, I jumped in the car and, and, and we drove to honestly the last place on earth I thought my stag day would be. And we rolled into Glen Mackin Church and I was like, like, not anything against Glen Mackin Church, but I just didn't expect this is where my stag day is going to be. We'll, we'll roll with it anyway. Uh, and some friends were there and some family and we were about to, to take part in the first activity, which they all knew, but I hadn't a clue what was going on. And so then it was announced that we were going to do a thing called um, soft arrow combat. Soft arrow combat. If you've never done this, have a, please have a go with it. Evergreens, you should have a go at this. <laughs> Soft arrow combat, that would be great. Um, but it's, a, it's basically a mix between, do you know like those paintball and those skirmishing games um, and archery? But at the end of the, the, the arrows, they have like a two to three inch sort of sponge. So it doesn't pierce you, unfortunately, but it hits you with a good whack. And the, the bows were massive. And so we had played um, in the, the hall of Glen Macken a few different games. Um, they'd done sort of like dodgeball and um, all these different games that we're sort of playing um, with the bows and arrows, so it was brilliant. But one of the games then they played was they got me and, and the groomsmen and they put us sort of against a corner and they had these big inflatable like barricade things. So they had like five inflatable barricades which they made in like a semicircle and then just enough space for me and the, the four guys to, to be in. Um, and so what this game, there was no rules, it was just okay, for five minutes, you just get to attack these fellas. Like, we just had to stay within this area, and for five minutes, these guys could come basically within a couple of yards and just pelt us with arrows, and, and we could get them back, but there was no, you couldn't get put out. So, lo and behold, this is going on, and we're sort of hiding and getting down, and um, one of my friends, our friends, Ryan Campbell, you might know. <laughs> And so Ryan is sort of, they're starting way far back the other side of the hall, and then they start to get cocky and start to get arrogant, so they come up close, and, and they're, they're sort of getting this really close, and we're hiding behind, and I'm, I'm over at this side shooting all you people, uh, and Chippo is at this side shooting all you people, and we're all just like trying to stay down and, and fire arrows, and the next minute, we just see Ryan Campbell lying over on the floor, and we're like, what happened? What? Like, what's happened there? But we don't care. We're just like, get Ryan. So he's laying on the floor. And we just start firing arrows at him, firing arrows. And the next minute, you just see, this is the best part of the day. Ryan was just on the floor, and there was a corner. And he just sort of started slowly crawling desperately to this corner. And they all we were just wetting ourselves laughing. But I was like, I don't know why we're laughing, but this is funny. But later on, what we found out, the context of the story was Chippo. Slow motion, just like launched an arrow right towards Ryan to where you shouldn't hit a guy. And it just cracked him. He was like, oh, and he was down. And you just seen the sheer desperation as there was an area like, I just need to get that refuge. I just need to get there. I need to get there. And this is the best part of it. Like the rest of the day, we just kept going back to that story. Absolutely hilarious. But in this, I didn't know at that point why is Ryan crawling? Like, why is he on the floor? I don't understand. And it was only later when, when Chippo was able to tell me 
the context of what had actually happened? Was I able to understand the situation? And here in, in Matthew's account of this story, we, we read in four verses a story. But we don't really understand the desperation. It says that this woman was, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. But if we're honest, we don't really know the, the situation. Maybe if you've been in church long enough, you do know. But if we're just looking at this, we don't fully understand this woman's situation. We don't fully understand why this woman is so desperate to touch Jesus' robe. And so if you turn with, to um, Luke's account, Luke chapter 8. And this is why, church, it's so important to read different accounts within Scripture, especially in the Gospels, in, the Ma in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have a look at them all if you're reading a passage, because it's so important that you read all to see what else can we learn about the passage? What else can we tell us? And so if you look at, at Luke chapter 8 and verse 40, we're, we're going to find this story again, but, but with a bit more context. It says, On the other side of the lake, crowds welcomed Jesus. So already we've got a bit of an understanding of what's happened in this passage, that there's crowds welcoming. People are actually anticipating and expecting the arrival of Jesus. When you came into church tonight, did you come with an expectation that Jesus was going to be here? Did you come with an expectation that Jesus is going to do something? Because these crowds came expecting. These crowds came to see Jesus because they had heard stories. He heals people. It says in verse 41, then a man named Jairus See, in Matthew's account, we just said it was the local synagogue leader. Now we have a bit more information. We have a, a bit of context. A man named Jairus, leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, so we're getting a, more, a bit more information about the story. His 12-year-old daughter was dying. Now, it's quite interesting because Matthew tells us that she was dead, uh, and, and Luke tells us that she, she is dying. So, the basic thing we didn't know is the situation isn't looking good. It's bleak. It's not looking good in this girl's life. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Matthew's account didn't tell us that, and this is why it's important. She could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and it says, immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. And the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Verse 48, daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Turn to the person next to you and say, tell me more. <laughs> All right, don't have a conversation with him. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, because we have had Matthew's account, which sums up this story in four verses. Do you ever get someone who tells a story like that? And they tell you no details. You're like, tell me what happened to your day. I went to work and came home. Tell me a bit more than that. And so in Mark's account of this story, he tells us a bit more. He gives us more details. And this is where we're going to read. And, and I'm going to preach from this passage. In Mark chapter 5, sorry, Mark chapter 5. And it's starting at verse 21. And this is going to give us some more information 
It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went to the other side of the lake where a large crowd had gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. We know that already. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, Mark says that she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him, threw the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately, which we've read in the other accounts, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. And so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then a frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And so we have a bit more of a context about why this woman was so desperate to get to Jesus. We have a bit of an understanding about why this woman was so desperate to reach Jesus. We have a bit more of the context of the story. But, but when I was preparing this for this week, God really revealed to me, I want, you to, I want you to illustrate this. I want you to illustrate this. And so I sat down and I started to really illustrate this passage to myself. I wonder what this means. I wonder, I wonder what and how can I illustrate this and make this come to life. So where this all takes place is a place called Capernaum. Jesus gets on this boat and they're traveling over to the shore near Capernaum. And you can see Jesus in the boat with his disciples and they come through Capernaum and you see all the nice sort of wee townhouses by the sea. And then you see the local synagogue because we hear that there's a, a local synagogue with a, the leader in it. And then in Capernaum, there probably would have been, like most of the towns, a, a sort of a shabby part of town with a bit of derelict buildings. And that would have been where the, the social outcasts would have lived. The people with diseases, the people with leprosy, they would have been pushed to the out, outside of society. They would have been rejected. And so you can see Jesus, and, and they're coming through this part of, they're coming up to the shore. And then you see all the crowds coming. As I said, they come gathering because I wonder what Jesus is going to do. We've seen him do so much. What, what's he going to do in our time? What can I get to see him do? And church, that's the way we should be coming into church. We should be coming into church saying, I wonder what I can get to see Jesus do. I've heard of the stories that he's doing in other churches, but what can I get to see? And so these, these crowds start gathering. And then there, there's a bit of a split in the crowd as this man comes running through, dressed well. He's in charge of the local synagogue, so he would have been well-dressed, well-groomed. People would have moved out of the way, but this man was has urgently running towards Jesus because in all three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we realize that this, his little girl, who's 12 years old, is, is either dead or dying on the brink of death. And so 
He wouldn't have just strutted down to Jesus. This man would have been throwing people out of the way. His daughter was dying, so he was getting there. And it says that, that he threw himself to the feet of Jesus. In Mark's account, it says that he, he pleaded fervently. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like he needs Jesus to do something. He's getting there like, Jesus, I need you to help me. And so Jesus is like, okay, I'll do that. And again, in my mind, when I read this before, I used to think that, that Jesus and Jairus, you know, were walking down, having a conversation, a wee chat, and the crowd's falling around, high-fiving each other. This little girl was dying. I believe that Jairus would have been running, dragging Jesus, come on, come on, my daughter is about to die, and, and crowds would have been running after him down the wee streets, bouncing, bumping into each other, tripping over each other. There would have been a bit of urgency about Jesus getting to this house, because we read later on that this child was literally about to, later on that day, die. And verse 25 in, in Mark's story, it says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with, with constant bleeding. Now, if I was to be a publisher and I was to sit down with the, the, the author, Mark, and, and sit and talk about this book that he's about to write, I would say, Mark, this is, these are two great stories. You've got the, you're gripping the people with Jairus' daughter. You're getting the emotions. You're pulling them with that there. That's great. And what you're about to tell us that Jesus done is an incredible story. And then this woman who's been suffered for 12 years, amazing. And so do you know what we should do? We should just keep these two stories separate because you don't want to confuse your audience. You want to be writing to people like Davey and he's not that smart. And so you would need to keep those stories separate. And, but actually... The Holy Spirit has inspired this book, and so the Holy Spirit has decided, no, I want to keep these stories together. And, and it says that this woman was bleeding for 12 years, and it says that this girl was 12 years old. That's, that's not a coincidence. This is, this is important that these two stories link. And so we see that, that this woman comes out of the crowd and, and, and says, and we hear a bit about her story. Mark tells us that she had been suffering for 12 years 12 years with constant bleeding. I want to look at this woman's backstory for a bit. It says that she had been bleeding. Some of your translations may say she, she has been hemorrhaging for, for 12 years. That, that's the, the biblical polite way of saying that she, this woman had a menstrual condition for 12 years. Some of you have children or nieces or nephews or, or, or grandchildren who are 12 years old and, and that's how long this woman was, was bleeding for. And the context is important because this woman wasn't just, like physically that would be an issue, yes. But back then, this woman would have been classed as ceremonially unclean. Ceremonially unclean. And so if she had family and she had this condition, she would have had to go through a cleansing, a cleansing ritual, a cleansing process before she could sit and have a meal with friends or family. Before she could physically touch another human being because if, if you were ceremonially unclean and you touched someone else, they became unclean. And so this woman was ceremonially unclean and you, could also, you can almost imagine the story. She's found out that she has got a bit of a condition. And so what do you do when you're struggling? You go for prayer. And you can almost see her walking up to the local synagogue where Jairus would have been standing, standing at the door, Right behind him would be his wife holding a brand new baby. Here is this man going through one of the most incredible joys of your life. And here is this woman going through one of the most harrowing times of her life. And maybe you're in here tonight and you feel like that. 
You're looking around at, at this guy up on stage and it's all grand for you. You're getting married in a couple of weeks. It's all grand for all these other people. They look like they're going through a good time in life. But me, I'm struggling. Me, I'm going through one of the most difficult times of my life. And everyone else seems to be okay. And that's what this woman probably would have felt coming up. Embarrassed, ashamed, because she would have known that the law says you're unclean. And so she's about to walk into the synagogue to ask for prayer. And there's Jairus, look, synagogue leader, would have stopped her and says, not today, love. You're unclean. You're not allowed in here to worship. And so away you go. Here's a man who, who would have been a local synagogue leader. People would have known him. He would have been popular. And he's telling her, no, reject you. Maybe that's a bit of your story in here tonight as well. You, years ago, weeks ago, maybe even today, you felt rejected or hurt by someone popular, by someone when, who knew people, by someone everyone else loved and cared for, rejected you. And this woman would have went away rejected and hurt and despised. And you can almost see it then, the next day, maybe she tried to sneak in again. Nope, not today, love. I've told you before, get away from here. And so she was rejected, probably felt isolated. Remember last week when we talked about what the enemy likes to do, or two weeks ago, what the enemy likes to do, likes to humiliate you and isolate you. This woman would have felt rejected, unclean, unloved, unvalued. And so the, the t it wouldn't have just been Jairus who would have told her this. A lot of other people would have seen her condition and, and realized you're unclean. You're a lesser of a human being than the rest of us. This woman was an outcast. This woman was rejected, humiliated, unloved, unvalued. And in reading Mark's, Mark's version of this account, it says that this woman had spent everything that she had to pay doctors. She had suffered a great deal and spent everything that she had. So you could see her going into the synagogue and realizing, I can't get prayer. They're rejecting me. And so I need to sort this out. I can't live my life with it like this. And so she would have went to what it would have been classed in as the medical professionals. They didn't have NHS then. And so she would have went to these, these people who they would have charged her to give these. And I was doing some research and reading about it. Some of the, the, the remedies that they would have given you, we know even common sense now would say this wasn't going to fix it. She was having to, to drink wines mixed with onion juice and all these weird things. She was having to put certain ointments on her body. She was having to hold things and, and doing these weird skirt, skirt tactics to scur the disease from her. And it was trying anything and anything to get her healed. And so could you imagine having to go and, and pay the money that you have, maybe the little money that you have to try and fix this issue and, and nothing happened. She came back from that doctor and Actually, she wasn't cured and starting to feel a wee bit worse. And so what she had to do was take her money and go elsewhere to another doctor who, who tried to fix her. And again, no help. And so she had no money left. So what she probably would have started to do, it says she, she spent everything that she had. So maybe she started to sell her possessions, her home, different things that, that were important to her in her home. But she realized, I need to get my life sorted. I need to heal this issue and this gap in my life. And so she started to sell things to give to other doctors who would try to help her. But could you imagine church going time and time again, look for an issue, looking for something to solve it, and coming back lesser off, less money, feeling worse, sold her possessions. And maybe, again, this resonates true with some of us in here 
Tonight, there has been a gap in our lives. There is a, even as followers of Jesus, there can be gaps in our lives that we try to fill by doing other things. We try to fill by spending. We try to fill with alcohol. We try to fill with, with gambling. We try to fill, actually, not even with some of those things, but we try to fill with the acceptance of people. And I will do anything to be accepted by people because I've been hurt in my past. I've been hurt. I have this issue. And so I will do anything to be accepted. And so we start to try and, and exhaust our resources, exhaust our lives, just trying to fill that need in our life. And this for 12 years would have happened to this woman. And I wonder how long did it, how long it says in Mark's account that she spent everything. I wonder how long it took before she actually spent everything. I wonder how long that took until she moved from maybe her wee nice townhouse in Capernaum to, to those shabby parts to be with the outcasts. And then maybe she started to think, well, this is just part of my identity. For 12 years long, church, 12 years, this is just who I am. And so not only did she have a physical condition of constantly bleeding for 12 years, the physical trauma that that would have caused you, but not a, that's not enough for this woman. This woman would have been rejected by the same people she walked along the streets with. She wouldn't have been able to walk along the streets with people. They would have crossed the other side because you're unclean and I don't want to be near you. She would have felt rejected, isolated, unloved. And that would have just been the story of her life. This is who I am. This is the cards I've been dealt. And again, maybe this rings true with you. I felt like that. I felt unloved. And to the point now where I just accept that this is, this is my life. This would have been this woman's life. Unloved, unvalued, rejected, feeling there's no hope because she's tried all the doctors. She's tried all the remedies. She's tried everything to fill that need and fix her life and nothing is going to work. No hope, no joy. Probably thinking to herself, how did it get like this? How did my life turn out like this? This is never what I intended it to be, but here we are. What am I going to do? It says in verse 27, she had heard about Jesus. She had heard about Jesus. Not an important thing that we'll dwell on for long, but who told her? Who told her about Jesus? Was it, a, was it someone running past in the street? Was, a friend, was it a friend who was looking out for? Was it a family, a distant family member? Who told her? Someone told this woman about Jesus and the things that he was doing, and so she was like, there's a bit of hope. And church, you have that hope. Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you telling about the transformation he has done in your life? Who are you telling about, listen, this is what he's done in my life. What could he do in your life? Who are you telling? Because actually we see that it says that she had heard about Jesus, and then so what she decided to do was do something about it. So it says that she came up, behind the crowd. And again, when I was thinking, here's where these two stories meet. Do you remember the, the one we started with, the urgency, this crowd running to Jairus's house? And so again, when I was reading this, I used to think it was, you know, she just slowly had to crawl and everyone was standing still, like slowly moving like zombies towards Jairus's house. But there was urgency. Remember, this wee girl is dying and so there's going to be urgency. And this woman would have heard about Jesus and thinking, okay, I'm going to, I need to be there. There's a bit of hope in my life. And again, I started to think about the location of this, that Jesus got onto the shore and met Jairus and they were running probably through the streets of Capernaum to get to, to his house. And, and this woman was probably possibly living in the wee shabby derelict part of town. And so what she was going to have to do was come into the center part of town. 
define Jesus. The central part of town where, where she was rejected. The central part of town where she was probably isolated. The central part of town where people knew her condition and probably told her, get lost. And she would have had to come there. And maybe you've come out to church tonight and you're, you feel like that I've been hurt in church. Maybe not necessarily just this church, but a church. I've been hurt by church. People have let me down. And so coming out here is actually a big deal because for this woman, it might have been a big deal to come and see, and, and see Jesus in the center of town. But it says that she heard about Jesus. There was this hope and she would have probably coming into town, I, I would suspect she would have covered herself up. If people would have known her condition, she wouldn't have wanted to be rejected again, again, again. So she might have covered herself up. And it says that she came up behind Jesus and it says that she, if I could just touch the robe, if I can just touch some of your translations, may say the hem of his garment. Now I'm not going to get into the representation of the hem of the garment, but it would have been the lower part, yeah? It would have been the lower part. And Stephen, I need you to borrow you. Do you know why I always use me? So if the hem of his garment, need to be careful or touch here, was here, turn around. If I was standing up straight, it would make more sense to touch here, yeah? It would make more of an effort to actually go down and touch the lower part of his garment. The only time I would be able to touch, and it would be more obvious to touch the lower part of the garment, was if I was crawling. Thank you. Saying I'm small. <laughs> I never had to lie down there to touch the hem of your garment. It would have made more sense to touch the hem if you, were, if you were down low. And this would have been the representation of this woman hidden, crawling to touch Jesus' garment, pushing her way past the crowd again. I talked about it last week. Predominantly, this crowd, predominantly, would have been male. Predominantly would have been male following Jesus. Males, back in those days, were the most seen as the most intelligent, the most educated, and so it would have been mainly the males who would have been around Jesus because they could be the ones to learn. And so it would have been predominantly male. So here's this woman already rejected for 12 years, coming into town where again she is probably rem being reminded that you are, you are an outcast and unclean. And she is having to hide herself and crawl past the men just to touch Jesus' garment and then in verse 29, you can read any translation. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke's gospel. The same word applies. It says, immediately, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. That's the power of grace. It can immediately change your life. It can immediately transform from death to life. It can immediately give you the hope that you have wanted. It can immediately give you the joy you've been yearning for. It can immediately fill that gap in your life that the world you have tried to fill it with, but it can immediately give you that hope that you have been longing for. It can immediately give you your identity back. It can immediately make you a new creation. That church is the power of grace. I'm gonna ask Mark if you could, you could come up here because this church is... That's a beautiful, amen, immediately Jesus can change your life. This is where this story gets even more interesting. And this is where I'm excited to say this because this is where God brought a whole revelation. You've probably heard this sermon that I'm actually about to preach and you're like, oh, good one, David. But this was amazing to me. So this woman 
has had 12 years of a physical condition, 12 years of bleeding, 12 years of being rejected because of her physical condition. And here's Jesus on his way running to save a little girl that we read Jesus values children. He says, let the little children come on to me. He values children and he's on his way running to save a little girl's life. And so, thank goodness I'm not, but if I was Jesus, I would have tried to kill two birds with one stone here. I would have tried to say to the woman, here, I know you're struggling physically. I know you have a physical condition. So if you quickly touch the hem of my garment, you will be healed. And then I can run across to Jairus' house and heal that girl just before she dies. So I can do two in one here. Because all this woman would have needed was a, a physical healing. She would have just needed a physical healing. And then she probably could have went back out of her feeling, out of her comfort zone in the town, back to her shabby wee derelict town where she was comfortable. But, but she would have felt, at least it got healed. But this woman touches the hem of his garment. It says, immediately Jesus healed. I just want, okay, that woman's done. Go on to the next part of the story, Jesus. Go on, tell me how you get to Jairus, his daughter, just before she died. Quickly tell me. But no, Jesus stops. And I'm going, get on. I feel like Jairus, come on, come on, get to my house. My daughter is just about to die. You have healed that woman, hallelujah, immediately. God is good, come on. But Jesus, Jesus stops. Why are you stopping, Jesus? Church, this is the power of grace. It won't just heal the need that you think you need, but it will transform your whole life. It will transform everything about you. It will not just physically heal you. It will not just spiritually heal you. But I believe that the power of grace is it can emotionally heal you. And so here is this woman, healed physically. Jesus, go. But he stops and says, who touched my robe? Do you remember two weeks ago I said, when, when God or Jesus asks a question in the Bible, it's not for him to know the answer. Here we go again. Here's another one of Jesus. So, I actually 100% believe that when Jesus got on to the, 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 off the boat at Capernaum, he knew exactly who was going to be running to him to tell him that my daughter is sick. He knew exactly in the crowd who was going to be bumping about and hitting him. And he knew exactly who was going to touch his robe at this time. And so Jesus stops and says, who touched my robe? And everyone else in the crowd is going, wise up, get to that house, come on. It doesn't matter who touched you. We're all bumping into you, but go. Jesus stops. And he gives this woman a public platform. Because this is the woman who society and the town would have completely rejected and was an outcast and forgot about. Jairus would have been looking at this woman going, I know her. She's unclean. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Everyone else would have rejected this woman at some point. And here is the Jesus that these people actually ran to the shore to meet and expect. And he is the one stopping to turn around and look at this woman. Because Jesus wants to do a public emotional healing for this woman. And it says that this woman was trembling. 
If you read, we read in Luke's account, it said that this woman was trembling for one reason. It says that she was trembling because she couldn't remain hidden. Because I believe that, as I said, this woman probably put on a, a hood, stayed low, hid in the shadows, wanted to hide because she wouldn't have wanted to be rejected again and again and again and again and again. That she wouldn't want that past brought up in her. And she was probably sitting there trembling because Jesus stopped and says, who touched me? And they're all probably looking around going, who did? Who was it? Who was it? And she couldn't remain hidden any longer. And so she was probably trembling because she knew, oh no, these people are gonna, these people are gonna know that it's, it's me. These people are gonna know that it's me that's in this town. And, and they've already told me that I'm a reject, I'm an outcast, and they're gonna know I'm here. And so what are they gonna say about me? What are they gonna do now to me? And they were maybe actually even, th- she was maybe thinking that I, I'm, I'm ceremonially unclean. And so I know that the law says if I touch someone else that they're, they're ceremonially unclean. And I just touched Jesus. I just touched the one who, who is the son of God, is the Messiah. I just touched him that everyone else loves and they're gonna really hate me here. And so she was probably trembling. And Mark's account, it says that she was trembling at the realization of what had just happened to her. The realization, this woman for 12 years, church, has been physically bleeding. 12 years of an issue. Her identity was in the fact that this is, this is who I am. And here is one touch, one encounter with Jesus has completely transformed her life. Of course, she would be trembling and says that, that she fell to her knees. And so picture this scene. There is a crowd in the wee town of Capernaum. In the center of that, crowd, there is, there is Jesus and Jairus, and then there's this woman on her knees. And this is the bit that God revealed to me in verse 34. It says, he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. And I've heard this, this passage preached many times. I've heard people preach it and end with how about that woman's faith? It was her faith that made her well. Amen, church, amen. Do you know what? We need faith the size of a mustard seed. If we can have faith the size of a mustard seed, it'll move from this mountain to there. And amen. And, and so I would just end this by saying, have faith. Out we go. Let's go and have faith. Everyone, one, two, three, let's have faith. It's a good sermon, it is. But if I believe that every single word in this book is Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit inspired, then there is something that we are missing in this. And you can read Matthew's account, you can read Mark's account, and you can read Luke's account. You can read it in your NLT, your NIV, your ESV, your King James. You can read whatever you want. In Mark, Matthew, sorry, 9.22, Luke 8.47, I think it is, and here, In Mark chapter five, verse 34, they all start with the exact same word, daughter. Daughter. Here's this woman at her knees in peril, worried about what's gonna be said, worried about every single person around her who have rejected and isolated her. And the one man Jesus Christ stands before her and addresses her daughter. Do you know what? This could be beautiful, a beautiful moment and we could actually just bypass it because we think, oh, 
It's Jesus. Like it's just a lovely word that he's just trying to encourage this woman. But it's actually the wording of this in the context of the passage. Because what did what's the main theme of how this passage all started? They're on their way to, to Jairus' house. Why? Because, because his daughter is dying. And so Jesus chooses very carefully the words he's about to use here. And he addresses this woman, daughter. Because he is saying to the crowd in Jairus, yeah, we're, we're on the way to heal your daughter but I have stopped in the middle of this so I can heal my daughter. And church, I believe that so many of you need to hear this tonight, that you may feel unloved by society, rejected, isolated, humiliated, unloved, unvalued, hopeless. But God is saying, you are my sons and my daughters. And if I have to stop what I'm doing to heal and spend time with you, I will because you are my sons and you are my daughters. You are not bankers, you're not teachers. You're not worship leaders, you're not preachers, you're not leaders. You are my son and you are my daughter. And I want to take this moment to say, I, I love you. Do you know what's even better about this church? That Jesus, you can read any other account that Jesus has with women in, in scripture and he doesn't call them daughter. This is the only time he addresses a woman with the word daughter. To the point, and you can read in, Math, in, in John's Gospel, John 19, verse 26, Jesus is on the cross. He is about to breathe his last breath. And at the foot of his cross is his mother, Mary, the woman who birthed him, the woman who raised him, the woman who taught him, who cleansed him, who loved him. And John, the beloved disciple beside him, Jesus is hanging on the cross. The final words he's about to say, and he's about to say, John, look after my mother, would you? And what does he address us, her as? He addresses her, you can read it, John 19, 26. He says, woman. Now this is not to run down who Jesus' mother is and his relationship he had with the mother, but it's to build up in the context of that this woman who is at her knees at the peril of the crowd. And he says, daughter, because there is such significance of this, that you're my daughter that this isn't just a word I'm throwing to you, but it's a term of endearment that you are part of my family. And I don't care what these people think of you. I love you so much. And do you know what's even more beautiful about this passage, church? That there is a crowd around these people that are probably pushing and shoving Jesus to move on. There's Jairus who's probably dragged him saying, come on, my daughter is down here. And Jesus stops going, do you know what? I don't care about the urgency. I don't care about the crowd. I care about you, my daughter. And I believe this is significant for many of you in here, sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, that you may think there is turmoil in your life. You may think that there is chaos all around you, but I believe and want to say that Jesus Christ wants to say to you in the midst of turmoil, I want to take this moment to say, you are my sons and my daughters. And I don't care about the turmoil in your life. I don't care about what tomorrow is going to bring. I want you to remember on this Sunday that you are my son and you are my daughter. First and foremost, you have been adopted into the family of God. I am your father. And so you get the privileges of being my son and my daughter. And church, I want you to be encouraged. Whatever you face tomorrow, be encouraged that right now as you sit here, you are a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You are loved. You are valued. You were bought with a price. The words Alan said around this table go directly to you 
not other people who may be accepted in society, but to every single one of you who have said, yes, Jesus, I want to accept you in my life. You are a son and you are a daughter. Jesus doesn't care about the urgency of this situation. He just wants to sit and say, you're my son and you're my daughter. And do you know what? Things in this life will come at you. You'll go through tough times. But what will never change is the fact that I'm your father and I love you with an unconditional love. I love you. No matter the crowd, no matter if they reject you, I will never reject you. I will always accept you. Come running to my arms. Come running to where I am. Jesus says to your daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I'm going to ask the band to come up. It says your suffering is over. I don't think Jesus was trying to address to this woman that your physical suffering is over because it says that immediately in verse 29, it says immediately that, this, that she felt the blood stop. It says she realized that she had been healed. And so I don't think she needed Jesus to come and say you're healed. But when Jesus says your suffering is over, he is not talking about physical suffering, I believe. He is talking about emotional suffering and saying your suffering of feeling rejected, you're suffering of feeling lonely, you're suffering of feeling unloved, unvalued, that you don't have a purpose or important part to play. I believe that Jesus is saying, that's over. Why? Because you're my son and you're my daughter. And I don't care what this world offers, you're my son and my daughter and I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with an unconditional love. So you go from here, they said this one, you go from here and you live with love and joy and hope and peace that this one encounter with you will transform your whole life because this woman this one encounter with Jesus would have physically transformed her whole life and so this one encounter with Jesus would have emotionally transformed her whole life church I believe that there is people in here who you've maybe had a, a physical hurt in your life or you've maybe had the, the something that when we're talking about these issues in your life they, the obvious ones come to your mind but I believe God wants to do healing process in the nature of some of the things that you don't even realize that you've had hurts with, some of the rejections that people have hurt you with, that I believe that God's once saying, you are my son and my daughter. Let that be all you need to hear. Church, I believe, and with this I'm going to close it, if Jesus was here right now and he had one final thing to say to us, I believe what he, he would say is tell us how much he loves us. Because church, if we could just grasp the love that we really, he really has for us, I believe that would change our whole lives. And tonight, I want to say to you that you are loved by the King. You are loved by the one who unconditionally loves you so much that he stooped down that grace has a posture that stooped down to come and die on a cross, not just to heal you spiritually, but to transform you physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, in every form. He wants to come and change your life. Church, I would love to do something tonight as the, the band are going to lead us in worship. And this isn't going to be a, a one song and then we're going to pray and close, but we want to engage and respond to the love that Jesus offers us. And so if you want, you can sit in your seat. If you want, you can stand and sing. But I want to open this floor up to you. If you want, we want to lay hands and pray for you.
If you're like this woman and you've been carrying some of those burdens and hurts of rejection, of, of feeling unloved, of feeling unvalued, of this is actually to just coming into here tonight, you realize this is just part of my identity. I believe the Holy Spirit is bringing some of these things out in you to say, no, this is not part of your identity. These are lies that the enemy has tried to point out in you and I want to heal them tonight. I want to heal them tonight. And so if that's you, I want you to come forward and we would love to pray for you so that you can leave feeling emotionally healed, physically healed. If you're in here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love you to come and be spiritually healed. I would love you to come and, and have that immediately moment where Jesus comes and one touch changes your whole life because this is the power of grace. He wants to transform your life. So I'm gonna, the band are going to lead us. Feel free to stand and worship with us. If you need a prayer, please. I would love, love, love to pray with you.